verse 19. Um, and then we're going right to 1 Kings. You might as well stick your finger in 1 Kings 18 as well. I am doing a part two, basically, of the message last week, the revelation of the children of God. And today is actually, um, it's important. I think we heard the prayer, we heard the word, and now we're going to hear the message that God laid on my heart to bring us. So, first of all, Romans 8.19 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Um, we talked about that last week, how, how literally people around you are, are eagerly anticipating, eagerly awaiting for you to show up in who you are in God. Now let's read 1 Kings 18. This might seem a little disjointed, but you'll, I'll put all the pieces together, I promise. Um, Romans, or excuse me, 1 Kings 18, 1 through 2 says this. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. In the third year, saying, go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, and the famine was severe in Samaria. Dropping now down to uh, verse 41. And Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went to the top of Mount Carmel. And he bowed himself down on the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud, like a man's hand, is rising from the sea. And he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. In a little while, the heavens grew black and with clouds and wind, and there was great rain. And Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. I want to talk to you for a little bit. Um, I guess, I mean, it is the Revelation Children of God Part 2. If I was to give it a subtitle, it would be, Reeducate me. Reeducate me. I do. Let's just pray for just a moment. Open up your hearts and just receive. Father, in Jesus' name, bring understanding. Let the spirit of wisdom, revelation, and understanding come into this room. And Lord, let us conceive truth. Lord, it's not about my words, it's about your word. It's not about, Lord God, just some concept. It's about the creative power of your promises. And I ask right now in Jesus' name that we receive and conceive in our spirits something that will change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we talked about the revelation of children of God. And I just, if you haven't listened, I will say this. If you have missed any of the last four messages, you need to listen to them. Uh, they are important. They are seminal in what God is doing in this church, and I believe um, they are essential to be able to really grab hold. If you're a visitor, get the tapes. Go online and listen, whatever. Get a hold of these things, because whether I'm your pastor or not, these things will, I think, greatly affect the rest of your life. 
if you will let them do that. Um, the thesis behind the last week's message is that the world is waiting for us to become revealed so that they can receive their freedom. And um, what we need to understand is for that to happen, we must understand who we are and who God is in us. And therefore, we must, we must become what the Bible says that we are. And part of that is that we must become overcomers. We must become victors. Some of you might be wearing Nikes today. Um, Nike is, was the Greek god of victory. And literally, when you read that we are overcomers, it is that you are, I believe the, the Greek would be uh, nikiamos, I think would be the right, if I'm doing the conjugation right. Um, it would be that we are, we are victors. We are victorious. We are overcomers. We are Nikes. Now, that is not a plug to go out and buy Nikes. I'm probably buying some New Balance soon, so just ignore all of that in that regard. But um, I want you to understand that what, what you see, what, um, in fact, Justin Gatlin, an American sprinter yesterday, just beat Usain Bolt in his last race ever. Some of you will know Usain Bolt, you know. He's only about a foot taller than me when he does that, but you understand what I'm talking about. A little better tan than me. Um, the, uh, the point, Justin Gatlin wears Nikes. Uh, Usain Bolt wears Pumas, so he was destined to get beat yesterday. Um, folks, you literally, in the spirit, you need to understand this, in the spirit, you wear Nikes. In the spirit, no matter what your favorite footwear, whether you're an Adidas guy or a Converse guy or a Nike guy or a New Balance guy or a Saucony guy. Usually it seems like there's Saucony women, but that's beside the point. You're a Nike guy in the spirit. You are an overcomer. And the reality is this. God needs us to be that. The message, I'm going to tell you the whole message right now. Literally, this is it. If you pay attention to this, everything else just reinforces it. But what I'm about to say to you may be one of the most important things you've ever heard in your Christian life, about your Christian life. One of the most important things you'll ever find in living your Christian life. And the Spirit revealed to me a couple of years ago, actually, that most of the dark nights that I've experienced in my life happened for one reason. God allowed them to come into my life to re-educate me. And I believe that those things that are going on in your life, things that are causing you stress, whether it's your, your teenager or your parents or your grandparents or whatever it might be, your, your work situation, your employment, whatever, whatever might be going on, whatever your situation is, it's there to re-educate you, and I, I hope I can expand this for you. Um, I want you to understand that there's, there's basically three kinds of messes we find ourselves in. Uh, we find ourselves in 
basically the mess that you make, the, ma- the mess that the devil makes, or the mess that others make. So let me unpack those a little bit. So the mess that you make, kind of self-explanatory. That is the, the pile of credit card bills you might have. Uh, that might be, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that might be some sin that, that you're participating in that's, that's causing trouble. That might be mistakes you've made that have opened the door to disaster. Anybody opened that door before? Yes. Uh, I spent some time behind that door. I didn't enjoy it. Um, but the thing is this. All of those things, all of those things are things that, that you decided to do. I got to get a drink. Excuse me. This, just so you know, this is one of my addictions. Um, I don't have many, but this is one. Um, seltzer. Polar is the best. Anyway. The mess that you make is kind of self-explanatory. It's the decisions you make that open up, you know, a can of worms in your life. That is one level of mess. The second level of mess that we deal with is the mess that the devil makes. Uh, remember where Paul is attacked in Ephesus. There's, there's this huge crowd, and they're gathering. They're, they're spurned on by all of the... The, mater, the makers of the idols. They're all the artisans who are making the idols to Diana. Does anyone remember this story? And so Diana's, Diana is being not worshipped as much because God's having revival in Ephesus. And all of a sudden, all the guys who are making money from selling these idols are going, dude, our paycheck is diminishing because this crazy revival that this this Paul dude is preaching about this Jesus guy, and people are getting healed, and people are getting delivered, people are getting saved, and we got to put an end to it. So all of a sudden, the devil is moving to excite the crowd, and, and Paul and his folks are being persecuted because of a demonic spurring on to get people to attack the church and its people. That is warfare, folks. It is an attack the enemy makes, and I want you to understand that that is warfare. There is spiritual warfare that goes on, and we are in a real fight with a real devil who really wants to kill you, destroy you, and steal your stuff. He wants to send you to hell. He wants to take your kids to hell. He wants to take this entire country to hell. That is real. We are in a war. So that's another level of mess. You've got your decisions. You've got the, the decisions and the attacks of the enemy. The third one would be the messes that others make. Scripturally, for anyone who knows the, the story of Jonah, um, Jonah, of course, was swallowed by the whale and was spit up in Nineveh, and we know all of that. But a lot of times people don't remember that when, when Jonah is trying to leave God, he's trying to run away from his calling, yeah, that's a whole other topic. I won't even go there. If, if you're running from your calling, stop. <laughs> stop. Stop and go do it. It's a whole lot easier on everybody. I'm about to explain why. Um, Jonah's running from God, running from his calling, and he jumps on a boat. He buys a ticket to the furthest place away that he could get from his calling. And, and what's amazing is that the storm rises up, and it's going to sink the ship. And what's crazy is all the guys who are on the ship with him are like, 
what, something's gone wrong. We've offended God. So they start trying to find out who, who's the problem. Because whoever it is, is literally going to be swimming with the fishes. These guys weren't even mafioso. They just knew they had a problem they had to get rid of. And see, what's interesting about Jonah and the situation there, Jonah, Jonah made a decision to run away from God and his purposes, and that decision opened the door to disaster in the lives of those around him. There are times, folks, that you, you as, as a good, you may be good and faithful. You may be serving God in all your ways. You may be, be serving him in the church, be involved in ministries, faithful to your tithes, all that stuff, pray every day, be de- doing devotions, all that stuff going on. And somebody near you, somebody that's just on your boat, makes a decision that sends you into a storm. That's just what happens. There's, there's times in your life, there's times that in, in my, my wife, my daughter's, I have sent them into a storm because of decisions I've made. They didn't choose it. They were just stuck with me. And there was no boat to throw me out of. Those are real things. But I want you to understand this. So we've got three major areas where where trials, messes come from in our lives. We have the decisions we make. We have the decisions and attacks that the enemy makes. And then we have the decisions that others make. But I want you to understand this. All of these things, all of these things, God will take and will use. I am not someone who generally believes that God is pushing you into trials. That does happen sometimes. But usually it's going to be the other big three. But this is the thing. No matter what the source, whatever the source of the problem, I want you to understand one thing. God wants to use it for your good. Romans 8, 28 says, For we know that all things, everybody say all things. All things. Does that mean that anything is excluded from that? All things work together for the good of them that love God, to those that are called according to his purposes. The reality is this. No matter what you go through, no matter what hand you ever deal God, he can win with it. He is trying to set you up for success. He's trying to set you up for the next victory. When you stumble, when you fall, when you're in trouble, when you are failing, he's already setting you up for the next victory. And so we need to understand that. That when we're facing these things, that God is giving us an opportunity. He's giving us an opportunity to overcome. The best example of that, of course, is, is Luke chapter 4, where, where Jesus is just baptized. He, he he's just gets out of the water. The Spirit just proclaims that he is, you know, that he's the beloved Son in whom he's well pleased. And, you know, that'd be awesome commendation from the Lord, right? I mean, you're just, if the Lord said, you know, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, I think that you think you'd made it. You'd be like, dude, I'll be on TV next week. Miracles, signs and wonders. I'll be making lots of money. It's going to be all good. I just got the big thumbs up from the man who rules it all. No, you know what happens next? The next line. 
is that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. Check it out. To be tempted of the devil. That will mess up your day, right? I thought you said you were well pleased with me. What are you doing? Anyone ever feel that way? <laughs> ever been like, I thought you liked me. And yet, yet that's what happens. God, God sometimes, sometimes, you, you got to understand this. There are times that you've got to go through the junk so that you can graduate, so that you can become an overcomer and see that God's word is true. There's times that you've got to go back and win victories for your family that were lost years ago. You've got to go. There's times that, that, the, that the Lord will lead you into a wilderness so you can gain victories that you're going to need to give to somebody else. Are you following me? Because at the end of this, you know what happens at the end of this chapter? Jesus wins, right? And it says that the devil leaves him for a season. But then it says this in the next chapter. Chapter 5 says that Jesus comes back into Galilee in the power of the Spirit. He had to overcome the temptations of the enemy to be able to step into fully who God called him to be. So that he could access all the treasure that God had inside of him to give to somebody else. Are you following me? I'm hoping that you're just sitting there in awe of these words. Because y'all are pretty quiet. <laughs> Trials slash mess, messes, come to us, hear me, to set us free from the false concepts we have believed about God and about ourselves. They come so that we can be set free from the false concepts we have of God and of ourselves. They come to re-educate us from the lies. Hear me. They come to re-educate us from the lies that we have believed. Somebody say, re-educate me, God. Because the reality is the level of your faith is what sets the limits to what is available to you in the kingdom of God. What most of us don't understand is that the limitation of our faith, hear this, the limitation of our faith is, is directly linked to how we see God and who he is. So, in Luke 5, 17, Scripture says this. It says that Jesus is teaching. And the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, and they had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. So how many know it's a pretty good-sized crowd, right? Now, next, check, look at the next sentence there. It says, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So we have all of these teachers of the law, all of these Pharisees, this big old crowd of religious folks. Sounds like a church convention. And it says that God's power is present to heal. But what's crazy about this story is if you keep on reading down Luke 15 or Luke chapter 5, is that nobody 
from that crew got healed. Not one. Not one Pharisee. Not one lawyer. Not one teacher of the law. Nobody. Except some paralyzed dude who had some friends who heard that Jesus was there. And decided, we're going to bring John. I don't know what his name was, neither do you. We're going to bring John, and we're going to bring him to Jesus. But all the religious folks are all in the way. So what do they do? They're determined. They believe. They go up on the roof. They tear up the roof. They lower the dude down in front of Jesus. Jesus, It says this, that Jesus saw their faith. He didn't see the faith of the dude laying on the cot. He saw the faith of the guys who lowered him. Some of you folks, we just need here, you need to understand this. Sometimes you just got to bring, you just got to bring them. Just keep bringing them. No matter how much they don't believe, just keep bringing them to Jesus. Just keep bringing them to Jesus. Because all that matters is that he sees faith. He'll eventually move. See, but who got healed was the dude who there was faith behind. And what's crazy, and I want you to hear this. The reason that the lame man got healed that day is because the people who lowered him down saw Jesus as a healer. And the reason the Pharisees and teachers of the law and the lawyers didn't get healed is because they didn't. God can only be to you what you believe him to be. He can only be to you what you believe him to be. That's why some of you struggle. You might know that Jesus died for you. You might know that your sins are forgiven, but some of you struggle with the love of God. And and this whole idea of as God as Father messes with you because your dad was a jacked up mess that didn't know how to love you. And so your view of Father is skewed. So how you see God determines what you can get from him. It is not that God doesn't love you. He adores you. He thinks that you set, you know, you hung the moon. I mean, he's, he's, he's rap, radically crazy about you. And yet you struggle with love because you see him as like your father. And God can only be to you who you see him to be. Is this making sense? Are you following me? So what happens then is most of the trials that we face in this world come out of two areas. And this is true regardless, hear me, this is true regardless of which of the three sources it's coming from. Whether it's your mistake, whether it's someone else's mistake, or whether it's attack of the enemy. I want you to hear this. They almost all will come from, and I won't say all because that would be overstated. I don't, I, I'm not God. He, he didn't tell me that he always does this, but it's most of the time. It comes because of our lack of understanding of who God is in this area of our lives. Whatever that area is. Or not knowing who we are to God and in his kingdom. That is true in every area. That is true in every area. If it's your kid that has made a massive mistake and you're on the boat with your kid, 
okay, the whole Jonah story again, that kid doesn't know who God is in that area. If they're struggling with sin, if they're addicted to stuff, all that they are telling you is that they haven't found out who God is in that area. Because he is your peace. He is your rest. He is your joy. He is your strength. He is your rock. He is your fortress. He is your hiding place. He is your shelter. When we go out and we're experiencing whatever, usually it's because we are trying to fill a void that we don't see how God fills. But the reality is this, when you really know who he is, when you really access those things, then you step into the revelation of who he is, and there comes peace there. That's why we got to teach. That's why your kids got to be in Sunday school. That's why we got to teach our youth. That's why we got to tell them who God is. We got to tell them what's available to them, that they don't need to do drugs. They don't need to drink. They don't need to have sex. They don't need to do anything. They need to find out that he is theirs, and that our Redeemer liveth, that he is alive and well, and will make the way for them. We need them to know. Because if they know, then they don't have to go and do stupid stuff. That's why sometimes God does allow trials to come into our lives. Because the reality is that he's creating an opportunity. Hear me on this. He's creating an opportunity to find out who he is and who you are in that situation. He's trying to grow your faith in your relationship with him. He's trying to re-educate us from the lies that we have believed. Someone say, re-educate me, God. God is always trying to bring us greater and greater dimensions of freedom. And when the Spirit leads, and there are times, I mentioned that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. It's also, you could go into the, the book of Exodus, where it says that, that God told Moses to go to the sea. Literally, go to the next one, bro. Number two. It says, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi Haharoth, between Midgal and the sea. The sea there is the Red Sea. The Lord said, go sit at the Red Sea and basically wait for Pharaoh. Sometimes God does put us in a pinch. But I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me so carefully, so closely. If God ever brings you into trial, if God ever brings you into a wilderness or up against the Red Sea, it is only because he is going to make a way where there is no way. He's going to show up and show out. He's going to show up and reveal to you in maybe a way that you've never seen that he is God. That he is your savior. That he will deliver you. He is trying to bring us to the place that we begin to grasp who he really is and who we are in truth and who we are to him. In him. He's bringing you to a place where you'll be baptized with a new revelation to enable you to step into a new anointing and leave your slavery to false concepts behind. That is why these things come. He is bringing you to the place that you can begin 
to be, hear me. He's bringing you to the place that you can begin to be revealed as his child. Do you think, do you think that when Pharaoh and the armies of Egypt were drowned by the Red Sea overwhelming them, do you think that there was ever any question in an Egyptian's mind that these are God's kids? They never doubted again. They might have been like, oh, well, the frogs and the locusts and the, the flies and, and the boils and, and the water turning, you know, red and, and all the stuff that happened, all the templates. Well, that might have just been coincidence. Just because the preacher said it and it happened doesn't mean it was actually real. That's like these fools sometimes you deal with when there's a miracle in the church and they go, okay, well, it was medically confirmed. Well, that could have happened because, you know, all those the stars lined up and the gravitational pull from all those stars lining up and, and the earth caused the, the cancer to be pulled from the system of that person. That's about how flimsy a lot, but they will do anything, anything to negate what God did, right? But after the Red Sea, do you think any Egyptians could doubt these are God's kids? The reality is that the world is waiting for us to be revealed. And our trials, hear me, our trials, if we go through them right, if we go through them with understanding, if we go through them to bring God to be more revealed in us, then we become an expression of his victory. Because God's not wiping out armies anymore, at least not in warfare like that. He's, he's bringing those armies to see there's a risen king. Because he wants to save them. So how could you grow in the faith, in your faith like this? By standing in faith in God and trusting in his promises. This is how. This is how. All of you might at times get frustrated by preachers who tell you how you should be this way. And they never tell you how. It used to make me crazy. I'd want to just run up and like kick him in the shin. You get me all frustrated wanting some answers, and you never give them to me. You just say, go do better. Well, here's the answer if you want to know how to do this. God wants you to take him seriously about his word and his promises. Too many of us are making excuses for God. We need to begin to hold him to his promises, because I want you to hear me on this. We get to hold God to his promises because he made them. We didn't bend his arm back. We didn't say, you're going to do this. He said, I love you. I want to give you these things. Here are promises that I give you as your father because you're my child. So now we then can go to God and say, God, you told me. I owe Gabrielle a breakfast date. We do dates. I told her on Wednesday, I said, we're going to go, we're going to have a date. And she was like, yeah. She's been working all week, and, um, and she, she would, hadn't remembered until just now. But she's going to remember soon, I promise you. And when she does, she's going to say, Dad, you said we'd go on a date. And guess what I'm going to say? You're right, what day are we going? It's the end of the discussion. Because I said. And God wants us to begin to come to him like that. 
He wants us to begin to say, God, you said, you, Jesus, you said you're going to do this. And he'll be like, you're right. It's coming. We've just got to put ourselves in the place that we begin to pull on promises. You ever have, you guys, I know most of you have, have children. And, or one of the, you know, a couple of you have been a child a couple times in your life. Um, <laughs> I said that on purpose, by the way, uh, just so you know. Um, but you know what it's like for, for your kid to be going, or you to be going, hey, 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 dad, you said we're going to play ball. Hey, dad, you said we're going to play ball. Hey, dad, you said you're going to play. And they're finally like, just get the ball, kid. <laughs> hey, dad, because, because, because there's something about a child that says, you said it's got to happen. There's a reason that God said that we had to have faith like children. It's got to be something that we don't quit that we go, God, you said. God, you said. God, you said you'd heal. God, you said you'd provide. God, you said you'd deliver. God, you said. We need to begin to hold him to his promises because he made them on purpose, people. This isn't arrogance. I'm not some idiot with a microphone. I humbly know who I am, but I also humbly know who I need and that he said he'd be these things to me. And I need you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. I can't do it on my own, Lord. We need to come knowing that our Father wants to take care of us. All the word and the promises are true, but we need to begin to access them by faith. Sometimes a promise needs to be prayed into existence. Some of you, I know that you're doing the theological work in your mind. You're going, but God's sovereign. He, he's all-powerful. He doesn't do everything that he wants. Because if he did, you wouldn't sin anymore. We have choice. And we have choice to bring these things into this world ourselves. I'm not even going to deal with the spiritual warfare element of that. I don't want to mess with that right now. I don't have time. But I want you to hear me. When I opened up the text with Elijah and talking about prayer and, and, and rain, Elijah had, had spoken and there hadn't been a drop of rain in three years and that it caused a great famine. And all the livestock are dying and people are dying and all kinds of craziness is going on. And the reality is this. The Lord said, go and tell Ahab there's going to be rain. Is that a promise from the Lord? Is it a promise from the Lord? Thank you. And yet what happens? He goes then in verse 45, and he goes and he tells Ahab that, that rain's coming. Go up and eat. <laughs> this is the difference between being somebody who just receives promises and someone who actually prays them down. You go and eat. I'll go up to the mountain and pray. Elijah had a word from the Lord that there was going to be rain. He tells the king through Elijah to go and tell the king there's going to be rain. And then he says, Elijah says, I've got to go pray that promise into existence. And it, it, get this. <laughs> this, is where, this is where we all mess up, guys. This is where we get confused. Is that 
that sometimes we're just believing, well, God said it, so it's going to happen. And, and 15 years later, you're still waiting for the answer. Because we didn't pray it down. Elijah goes and he prays. And get this. It says that he prayed. He stuck his head between his knees. That's pretty intense praying. If I know uh, that kind of prayer, he's probably rocking and groaning and in travail. He's, he is birthing something. And he didn't just go one time. He went one time. He said to his servant, servant, go look and see if there's a cloud. The dude comes back, nothing. So he goes and prays again. Go check if there's a cloud. Comes back, nothing. He goes and prays again. Go check, nothing. Goes and prays again, check, nothing. Goes and prays again, check, nothing. After the sixth time, he's probably like, dude, is this going to happen or not? Go and check one more time. And suddenly there's a cloud like a man's hand. Folks, Elijah prayed the promise into reality. He brought the promise from heaven to earth. That's why, that's why in the Lord's prayer, our prayer is that it be in earth as it is in heaven. Because there's something, there's, God wants heaven on earth, but we've got to pray it down. It doesn't just happen. It is something we engage in through faith and pull into our lives, into the reality of this time and space. Too often we've received promises and we leave them there. Many times we don't see it happen and wonder what's wrong with the word, what's wrong with the word, or worse, we begin to doubt God and his promises. And I've even seen at times even his existence Faithful people of God that didn't go and get their promises and then blamed him for it. Causing a diminishing of their faith, a diminishing of their trust when God was trying to use it to grow them, to grow trust. And that they hear this, that they would see who they are. Part of the deal, folks, God needs you to pray and to see your prayers come to pass so that you know who you are. There's something about when you lay hands on somebody. You know, the best, the best examples when I've prayed for intoxicated people and they instantly sober up. I love that. Because they spent all that money to get drunk and I sobered them up in like two seconds through prayer. They hate me. I love it. But see, this is the thing. This is the thing. God is revealing who I am. When I pray and see prayer answered to that person and to me. And when we can get hold of that, when we understand who we are, then suddenly you can start stepping out on other bigger problems and go, okay, God sobered up the drunk guy on the street. What's he going to do next? And you start getting bold and you start being just believing in who your God is and who you are through him. You need to know that God's promises are true. I'm wrapping up. The band could come. That God's promises are true. But I want you to hear this especially. 
2 Corinthians 1.20 gives us an awesome, awesome, awesome truth. It says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Could you pull up that text just real quick? It says that the promises, no matter how many promises there are, they are, they are, they are done. They are yes in Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled all the promises, and they're all available to us right now. But this is the thing, and I want you to catch this. And it says, and so through him, the amen is spoken by who? By us. The promises are true. The promises are real. But God needs you to say, amen. God needs you to say amen so that he can begin to bring it into your life. The reason that so many of us haven't experienced those things that God has for us is because we've said, oh, it's a promise from the Lord. And we've never prayed it down and said amen. God wants to change that. God wants us to begin to tap into who it is we really are because it's then that all these promises become true. It's then that you are the head and not the tail. That you are the lender and not the borrower. It's then that you shall only go up and not down. It's then that you shall possess the gates of your enemies. And that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. It's then that all those things that God has for healing, for deliverance, for transformation, for, for miracles, signs, and wonders to follow his people. It's then. It's then that those things come into your life and become real. And that, my brothers and sisters, is part of the revelation of the children of God. It's about us stepping into who we are and grabbing hold of it. You might be in a mess today. You might be in, in one of the, the three areas or some other area I don't know about. God's going to use it for your good. And he needs you to grab hold of promises. He needs you to take hold of promises that are related to that and pray them into your life so that you see them happen now. So I'm done. But I hope you're just beginning. I hope that this message makes you hit your knees sin. We need to get our knees dirty. I hope this makes you get your knees so dirty because you know that promise is on the other side of your amen.